Hey, glad to see you all today. Really good to have you here. And those of you engaging online, great to have you with us as well, wherever you may be. Again, in Cleveland, it's about 85 degrees and sunny. We're going to go swimming this afternoon. So we love you and we miss you if you're outside of the area. Let me start with this question. You see it on the screen there. Does God show favoritism? Does God have favorites? What would you say? What would the testimony of, of the Bible and of history show? Sometimes, and I'll, in a little bit, I'll share why some people think that might be the case, and partly it's, well, how do we humans sometimes do it? What would you say about, some of you, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you grew up in a family, in your own head, you might go, you grew up in a family, you're like, yeah, there was probably a favorite child in my family. And maybe you were the one, you're like, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> but if you weren't, it, it doesn't, it's, it doesn't feel very good, does it? It's sort of a painful kind of deal. It might have been a brother or sister. Now, some of you, you're an only child, and that's sort of cheating because, like, you were the favorite child, but you were the only option, right? And so, but you're still special. And but you know what this research shows? Uh, the Journal of um, Family Psychology, they did a survey, a study published, and they found this, that 74% of moms... And 70% of dads reported preferential treatment toward one child. That's tough to read, isn't it? Uh, it's been super painful for some of you. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of that. You might ask, uh, Jonathan, can I ask a question? Did you and Mary, like you have five children, did you guys have a favorite? That's a fair question. Maybe one of my kids, you're, you're watching now, they all are out of state. And so I'm gonna show a picture of our favorite child here. Here it is, right here, ready? It's all of them, right? And so Lauren and Brad there on the, on the couch, my mother-in-law Jamie in the middle, and then in the back we have Nate and Kayla, and Joy and Xavier, and Ann and Andrew, and then my brother-in-law, sister-in-law, Ken and Jessica. But I'd go, I, I love them all, right? I would do anything for them. I would sacrifice in whatever way because I just go, I, I love each of you, and, and y'all are my favorites, right? Now, did we do some things in our parenting that I, I regret or I look back and go, absolutely. Uh, and I think probably that's true for every parent, right? There's words that you wish you wouldn't have spoken that you did. Or maybe there's things you wish you would have done differently. Maybe you think I had the boundaries a little bit too wide or a little bit too narrow. Or I wish I'd done some things relationally more to invest. I got so busy in my, in, in my career that I maybe wasn't as present for my... And, and a, lot of, like, right, a lot of parents deal with that. But at the same time, you say, man, we love each of them, and, and I'm glad for the fact that my kids love hanging out together and getting together whenever they can. But let's ask the question. When we think of how prevalent having a favorite child is in society, 70 to 74%, does God have favorites? There's a really clear answer in the Bible. I just want to make that crystal clear here. Um, and it's an answer that we would definitely want for our Father in heaven, okay? Uh, so we're going to see that at the end, and because it'd be really tough if we thought that God did have favorites. But here's what I want us to see. The reason we're going to delve into this is because the answer to that question, does God have favorites, if he did, would mean that he sort of loves these people, treasures them, cherishes them, but he doesn't really some of these people over here, right? Right? 
But if God cares about everyone and he says, man, I, 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 y'all are my favorites, then I want to have a heart like his, right? And that means people in my neighborhood, my workplace, wherever I go, God, I want to show them your kindness. I want to be the, you know, the, the pipeline of your compassion. I want to be a good listening ear. I want to bless them because that's what you've done to me and you do for all people. And so if God really does have a heart for everybody, then I want to have his heart for people no matter what their cultural background, ethnicity, language, national, you know, what passport they carry. Here's why some people think that God has favorites. If you think back to the Old Testament and you, you think back, God chose one man in Genesis chapter 12 through whom God would work out his purposes. Anybody remember that guy's name? Abraham, right. And God chooses, of all the people in the world that God could have chose, he chose this guy, Abram, later became Abraham. And, and God says, I'm going to bless you. We're gonna see that in a second. And, and God creates from Abram and Sarah, he creates a nation, the nation of Israel. And did you know that almost 75% of the Bible is about the nation of Israel? It's about how they you know, were on the move and they grew their enslavement in Egypt, how they got a homeland, about their leaders, about how they get off track. And then God sends, you know, these messengers called prophets to, to bring them back and, and about their interactions with nations around them. And, and, and it's a lot about the nation of Israel. And so you can look at it and go, wow, with so much press about this one family, this one nation, does God have favorites? It helps if we can answer this key question. Why did the Lord choose Israel in the first place? That tells us a lot. And then why does God choose to bless people today, including you and me? I want us to look at that, and it's gonna give us a window into God's heart and also the mission that you and I can be a part of today. All right, let's turn to Genesis chapter 12, first book of the Bible. You can look in the Bible app on your phone. You'll see that on the screen, the, the icon for that, and, uh, or uh, look at your neighbor's Bible, and we'll have the verses on the screen here as well. So fasten your seatbelt for a quick overview of, of the Bible, because we're gonna start here in Genesis chapter 12. We usually stay in one passage. We're just gonna sort of see what is God's heart all the way through the Bible. I uh, want to say, glad to have you here. And again, those of you engaging online and at our Olmstead Falls campus, Lorraine Correctional, uh, thankful to have you with us. Guys at Lorraine Correctional, I hope that the men's conference, those of you engaged in that over the weekend, that it went really well. Uh, guys here at Middleburg and Olmstead and also at uh, uh, Lorraine Correctional, uh, we're participating together and, and just hope that, that just those seeds in our hearts will grow and and produce a lot of impact in our lives. As we're in Genesis chapter 12, just a quick word about how the Bible fits together as one connected story. Like the Bible's not a collection of stories. The Bible has sort of a unified uh, story that starts in Genesis, the bookend on the front end, and then goes all the way to the final book of the Bible, which is what? Revelation. And, and, and those two bookends tell us about the course of human history, why we're here, what went wrong with the world. 
and then uh, the brokenness that ensued, and then Revelation tells us how God ultimately is going to restore everything to its original design. And so in the beginning of the Bible, back in Genesis, you hear about the origins of sin and rebellion, and God banishes people from where? The Garden of Eden, right? He sort of says, hey, if you're going to rebel against me, and, he, and they, they have to leave. So he, he, you see the introduction of sin and rebellion, and people are kicked out of God's presence. You know what happens in Revelation? The very opposite thing. That in, in the last chapters of Revelation, you see how death is conquered and sin is completely vanquished and people are invited back in to God's eternal company, friendship. And so the beginning and the last book of the Bible sort of give a unity to understanding the history of, of our world. In fact, one Bible scholar uh, uses a literary technique uh, called a chiasm to sort of say, the bookends of the scripture, it really does fit together. Some of you are far more advanced in any kind of literary stuff than I. Maybe you were an English major in college and you know what the word chiasm means, that it's sort of where a statement is made and a sequence of ideas is, is, and, and then is repeated in reverse order. So let me just give you a real simple example of a chiasm. Uh, one that we say often is we say, when the going gets tough, uh, some of you don't know that. Let's say it one more time. Ready? When the going gets tough, the tough get going, right? So the going is A, gets tough is B, the tough B, get going, A, right? That's a sort of a simple chiasm. And, and some people will introduce that into the writing. Well, you see that actually in the Bible in the beginning and end of the um, of beginning and ending books. So let's just look. It's pretty cool to see. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you have the creation of the heavens and the earth. Revelation 21 and 22, the last chapters of the Bible, you have the creation of the what? The new heavens and the new earth. Genesis chapter uh, 2, you have the marriage covenant. You have Adam and Eve, and the bride comes into the garden sanctuary from which rivers of water flow for the nations. You can read about the Tigers and Euphrates and all the rest. And then in Revelation 21 and 22, you have another marriage covenant. This time talks about the lamb, Jesus, his bride, which is what? The church. And, and how the bride is invited into a city sanctuary from which the rivers flow for the nations and blesses them. And then finally, in Genesis chapter 3, you have Satan's destruction promised. And in Revelation 20, you have Satan's destruction Accomplished, And so it sort of goes A, B, C, C, B, A. Does that make sense? It's a pretty cool thing to sense and to go, this sort of shows us the scope of human history. It's not just a story or a legend. It's something that we go, when we read the Bible, we can really say, wow, this tells me like where I came from, why I'm here, how I can have a relationship with God, what went wrong with the world, how God's making it right, and how I get to be a part of it. And that's what we start to find out here in Genesis chapter 12. So let's take a look. Genesis chapter 12, some theologians say, marks one of the biggest transitions in the Bible because Genesis 1 to 11, you have the brokenness of what happens when there's human rebellion and you have, there's murder and there's family dysfunction on steroids and there's just a lot of craziness. And it ends with the Tower of Babel and it's just like the world is on its way to hell, right? Genesis chapter 12 is the first time you see God sort of step in in a way that's 
recorded, and he talks to Abraham. And God begins something new. And here's what he says to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will what? Bless you. Does God have favorites? Hold on to your answer. It looks like it, doesn't it? He goes on and says, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And here's this second part we've got to catch. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all, what? Peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So was God's heart just to bless Abraham and his family? No, you go, no, there's, a, there's two parts here, right? To what... If you just do part one, Abram, I'm going to bless you, it sounds like God is favorites, right? God chooses one nation, Israel, he just does something special for them, and you go, okay. But there's a part two, and the part two is that God's saying, I'm going to bless you not to be a receptacle, but to be a pipeline of my blessing to all the peoples around you. And so you could say it this way, God's promise is, I will bless you, God's purpose for that, I want to bless all nations through you. So we can ask the question, did God the Father love the Jewish nation? Absolutely. Does he still? For sure. He loves the people of Israel. But it doesn't stop there. That's the key. God shows the people of Israel. He blessed them as a means of showing his love to all people. That's God's heart from the very start. And it's affirmed over and over again in the Bible. In fact, when you start reading the scriptures and you go, okay, so God blesses me to bless others. God blessed Abraham to bless others. God blesses Esther. He blesses all of us. You start seeing this all the way through scripture. So let's just look real quickly. You're going to flip some pages here or flip things on your phone. And, and let's just take a look at some of what we read here. Let's start with Genesis chapter 18, a few pages over here. And, and God says of Abraham once again, he says in Genesis 18, verse 18, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through them. Why is he blessed? He's blessed for the sake of others, right? Turn over to Genesis chapter 26. And you'll see how the promises repeated to Abraham's son Isaac. Genesis 26, verse 3. He says to Isaac, I will be with you and I will bless you. That's part one, right? Drop down a little bit. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. and will give them all of these lands. And through your offspring, who? All nations on earth will be blessed. Do you see a theme coming through? And now just to make sure they got it, the plan is repeated to Abraham's grandson, Jacob, Two more chapters over to Genesis chapter 28. God speaks to Jacob and says, whose name would later be Israel, from which the nation would get its name. He says, you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and all peoples will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. Blessed to bless others, Right? You know what's interesting is that Israel's most renowned king, King David, got it. In fact, he's praying one time. Let's turn over to Psalm 67, the middle of your Bible, Psalm 67. And David is praying a prayer, not unlike what maybe you and I would pray for our family. And here's what he says in Psalm 67, verse 1. 
David prays, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. That's part number one, right? God, would you bless me? Would you bless my family? God, would you let your face? But we're not receptacles, we're pipelines, right? So look how David goes on, part number two. Why does he pray that? So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation for the people of Israel. No, your salvation what? Among all nations, right? Blessed to bless others. We don't have time to look at 1 Kings chapter 8. But in that, Solomon, David's son, is praying a dedicatory prayer for the temple of Israel. And, and thousands and thousands of people are gathered, uh, and they're, they're dedicating this temple, this permanent structure where they were going to meet with God. But when Solomon prays, he doesn't just say, God, this temple, for, which is for your people Israel, he says as well. And when people from other nations come, foreigners and others, God, may they also know you and know how great you are. Even the temple wasn't just for this one nation, but it was to be a blessing to all peoples. Just one more example. Let's turn over to Isaiah chapter 49. One of the prophets, in fact, the longest prophet, Isaiah. If you hit Jeremiah, I've gone just a little bit too far. And Isaiah, uh, this well-known prophet, is talking about the nation's mission. Just one other thing interesting about uh, Isaiah, by the way. How many books, anybody know how many books in the entire Bible? 66. I heard someone say, you're right. How many chapters in the book of Isaiah? 66, right. And you know what the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, or like the first 39 chapters of the Old Testament, are about where things went off the rails, and God's saying, hey, this, there's going to be some judgment if we don't turn things around. And then God just gives grace. And the last 27 chapters of Isaiah, like the 27 chapters, or the 27 books of the New Testament, as well, sort of a microcosm of the Bible. And, and Isaiah chapter 49 is in that second part where God's going, you know what, I want to restore I want to bring you back to what my intentions were for you because the people kept on going off the rails. And, and here's what he says in Isaiah 49, verse 6. And now the Lord says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. In other words, if you think that the goal here is just to bring back the nation of Israel, he goes, that's too small. That's not God's heart. Never been God's heart. His heart is for whom? For all nations, right? Everyone. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that is all non-Jews, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Do you see a theme there? God blesses so that those people can do what? Can bless others, right? It's always what God has. He, he doesn't just have Israel in mind. He always has the nations in mind, like you and me, people of, of every ethnicity, every language, every culture. Well, hold on to that. You might say, well, what about, that's the Old Testament. What about what happens in the New Testament? Like, is that sort of theme carried through? Let's turn to Galatians chapter 3, and you're going to see, it's really, I love this, there's like a 2,000-year connection from Abraham to this little baby born in a stable in Bethlehem. Galatians comes just after 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And, and uh, listen to how Jesus fulfills the promise given to Abram. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It says this, God proclaimed this good news to whom? To Abraham 
long ago when he said, in fact, about 2,000 years before this, when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the what? The same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Let's just stop there. He gets it because of his faith, but it says, you and I, sometimes we might go, if I asked you, if I said, does God, you know, does he treasure you? Are you one of his, you know, are you a part of his, you know, family and he loves you a ton? He'd go, well, yeah, I mean, but I mean, I don't like Abraham or something like, I mean, he was really blessed. No, actually, it says here, you have what kind of, how similar is your blessing to Abraham's? It's the same. The same blessing given to Abraham is the same blessing given to you. Look down at verse 14. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles, here it is again, with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the Holy Spirit through faith. Do you see the 2,000-year connection here? The Apostle Paul ties the promise given to Abraham directly to Jesus and says, this blessing, which is a personal, restored relationship with God. When, you know, if, if I were to ask you, like, are you blessed by God? That blessing is not, first of all, like, well, you know, I love my house, and I just got a new car, and I got, you know, this and that. Those are cool things, but when we talk about the blessing that God gives, it's first of all that you can have a relationship with God that's personal and meaningful and changes your life. Like Adam and Eve had in the garden, that, that when God gives you a blessing, he's restoring you to what he always intended for us to have. So that blessing is a restored relationship with God, and how do you access that? by faith in Jesus. He says it a couple times in Galatians. It says that Abraham became a friend of God through faith. And God is unchanging. So you and I today, it's by faith that we just say, Jesus, I believe in you. I trust you. I invite you to come into my life. And when we do that, we experience his forgiveness and God's Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. Do you see what he did? He blessed the nation of Israel and through the nation of Israel, generations all the way down the line, there's this little baby, a Jewish baby boy who's born named Jesus. And Jesus would become God's solution to allowing this blessing to be fulfilled and to come to all people. He blessed Abraham so that you and I could be blessed. So do you know why God blesses you? It's for the very same reason his purpose is to bless other people through you. He wants to pass along his grace and his mercy and his compassion and, and his, the news that you can be part of his family. He wants to pass along to people in your workplace and in your neighborhood and, and to people you're sitting next to on an airplane or in the waiting room or wherever you might be that God wants to use you. You're not a receptacle, you're a, a pipeline of God's grace and blessing. In fact, it's not a surprise then that you see the same two-part message um, when Jesus is speaking to his followers that one is, I'm gonna bless you, and secondly, I'm gonna bless you in order to bless others. Let's just take a look at a couple of them. You don't have to turn there because we're gonna look really fast, but Acts chapter one, you'll see this on the screen. Jesus says, he says to his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's part number one, right? 
He blesses you. He gives you his presence. And part two, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in all in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> How about 2 Corinthians chapter 5? It says, there anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. That's part one, that God remodels your life from the inside out. When you come to a relationship with him, he says, I'm going to start changing you and remaking you to be the person I always wanted you to be. He's going to bless you like that so that you can do what? He goes on and says, this is the wonderful message he's given us to tell others that we are Christ's ambassadors <coughs> and God is using us. He wants to use you to be a blessing to the people around you. Just one more example. Matthew 28, this is what we often call the Great Commission passage. Part one, the blessing, he says, surely I am with you, how long? Always. This is the promise of Jesus to everyone who trusts him. He says, I I'm going to be with you for forever. I was talking to a couple of widows this week at Grace. Did you know we have a thriving widows group? I love what they do. There's dozens and dozens. I think they had like 95 at one of their last luncheons. But they find uh, comfort in, in their relationships with each other. And so there's a new Widows of Worth class, and they're, they're having a luncheon coming up, a brunch in the beginning of April. But I was talking to two of them, and, and, just, and, and one of them made a comment that the other one agreed with, and she said, sometimes I'm lonely, but I'm never alone. And I said, wow, that, that is, that's, I love that. I love that statement. She goes, sometimes I'm lonely. I miss my husband dearly but I'm never alone. I know that Jesus made a promise to me and even my house feels eerily quiet. I'm in the car and I wish I were with someone else. I'm never alone. That's the blessing we receive, right? From, from Jesus. Surely I'm with you always. In part two, he says, and therefore go and make disciples of all nations. You see, when God blesses you, his purpose is to bless others through you. You're going to see that on the screen here, I think. Can you guys, can you say that first line with me aloud? Let's say it together. Ready? When God blesses you, his purpose is to bless others through you. That's his heart. He loves you and he loves the people around you. He goes, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a pipeline of my blessing to the people around you. So let me come back to the question. Does God have favorites. Do you know that the apostle Peter thought so? Peter, in the beginning, had some racism in his heart. Do you know that? He thought the Jewish people were God's chosen people and anyone else was sort of inferior and was on the outside looking in. And Peter sort of treated people like that to the extent that in Galatians, the Apostle Paul rebukes Peter for his racism. You can read it in Galatians. But Peter, in Acts, the book of Acts, he sees the Holy Spirit come and not only live inside Jewish people, but inside non-Jewish people. And when he witnesses that, listen to what Peter says in Acts chapter 10. He says in Acts 10, I now realize how true it is that God, what? Does not, show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. A light went on for Peter. How about the Apostle Paul? It says the same thing in Romans chapter two. He says, God does what? 
not show favoritism. You can't get any clearer answer than that, right? No favorites. Or maybe we could say, every one of us is God's favorite. And now what I'm mean, like to say about my kids, y'all are my favorites. Mary and I used to tell our kids in the words of Max Licato, maybe you've seen this, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and gives you a sunrise every morning. He loves you that much. You are known to God. He, he, he knows your name. He knows everything about you, and he loves you. The Father's heart is clearly stated in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. And you and I get to be a part of that. If you have a relationship with Jesus today, can I just remind you, that is not for you to hang on to yourself to say, I'm just gonna receive God's kindness and his compassion, his forgiveness. God, just keep on pouring it on. And he gives that to you so that you can do what? He blesses you so that you can, you can bless others. That's, you go, well, Jonathan, how, how does that specifically like happen? Like what what? What can I do to really let God's blessing flow through me? Well, I'm glad you asked. And uh, we have some, uh, just a couple of ways you'll see in your notes, some bullet points, you'll see these on the screen as well. But let's sort of wrap up with these and say, how might God, maybe you're already like, you're just actively involved and you're going, man, I, I just, I'm on mission with Jesus. But if you're like, I think I could dial that up a little bit, let me give you a couple of suggestions here, okay? First of all, you can serve and make an impact locally. There might be some way to volunteer in your community. You can make an impact in some way. Our website here at Grace has lots of ways that you can serve um, and say, that's my passion. And I, can I say, you're, you're seeing there, scroll on the screen, just a number of ways that you'll see on the, our webpage, lots of different ways that you can make an impact. Uh, can I just tell you again how encouraged I am by our church family Y'all are amazing. Like I was here last evening and I saw people getting ready for take a break, which is they bless like dozens and dozens of families uh, who have a member with special needs. And, and they let the parent or parents go out for four hours and just hang out for the evening. They provide a really special evening for their kids. We have people going to nursing homes, like a dozen different nursing homes, like all the time. We have people, I was down in Grace Kids this morning, they're helping out there. There's people helping out in the city in all, all kinds of different ways. They're making an impact, and often I just find myself whispering, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for so many in the Grace Church family who get it. You can make an impact locally, so many different ways that, that uh, you can say, I wanna find something that fits my passion. You can also offer your time and skills to make a difference globally, do you know that? Uh, a couple here at Grace gave me this uh, deal this week. It says, even to the ends of the earth, there are many ways to serve in missions. And on the back, there's all these different ways that you can serve for one month to two years, especially it's meant for retirees. And, and you can go and say, I'm gonna help out at this school, this clinic. I'm gonna go help out with this microenterprise project. And this couple here told me, they said, they said this week, they go, we're retiring in like two years. And they go, we can't wait. Like, we're not going just down to Cancun or taking some kind of cruise. We're going to go do this thing, and we want to make an impact. We can't wait. And it's not just for retirees. If you're a young adult, we have short-term mission trips from Grace. We'll help you get connected and to say, how might I serve in some other place around our country that's in need? 
or maybe in another place around the world that's in need. That's why we have a team from Grace going in a couple weeks to, to Thailand uh, to work in a home for kids who are at risk for sex trafficking to say, those kids matter to Jesus. And so we want to make an impact there. So you can make a difference locally, globally. You can sponsor an international worker. You might go, you know, I don't think I'm going to be probably, you know, making some kind of move to Myanmar, but could I be a part of helping someone else to do that? And so did you know that from Grace Church, we have a lot of different people who have been sent out and are serving in different countries around the world, like Carol and Patrick and Drew and Joe and Robert and Betsy and Joel and Ellen and Hazel and Don and Jessica. And I, I mean, I could just keep on going and some on their way like Amanda and Lindbergh and, and people saying, God, if, if I, I'm willing to be a part of whatever you're doing around the world and we get to partner with them. Another one, you can partner in prayer for international workers. Um, you can stop by our prayer room as these double doors on the right just before the exit. And if you go inside there today, you'll see there's all these little stations where you can just spend a few minutes praying for a particular individual or family and pick up a prayer card and say, I'm gonna take that with me and say, I wanna be a part of, of praying for people who are and do battle for them in prayer. You can also read up on, on uh, what God is doing around the world through this free magazine, Alliance Life, and there's articles about how to walk, you know, as a person of integrity in a relationship with Jesus. Did I say it's free? It is free. You go, well, what's their incentive? They just want people to be engaging in prayer and to be saying, I, I want to be a part of what God is doing. And so it comes out about 10 times a year, and, uh, and you'll find this out in the lobby. Maybe there's still a few copies out there. You can go to that website, and you can sign up to get in the mail, or you can read it digitally on, online. And then you can give to Global Outreach. Mary and I love to partner with what God is doing around the world uh, to show his compassion and to deliver his news uh, to people that we may never meet this side of heaven. You know what I wonder might happen? Remember Jesus says that when we give to like outreach purposes and stuff, he says you are storing up treasure where? In heaven. When I die, how much of my 401k am I gonna take with me? Zero, right? But I can, here's how what someone said it. You can't take it with you but you can send it on ahead. How? By storing up treasure in heaven. I wonder if we're gonna get to heaven someday and Jesus is gonna say, hey, you know these people over here that suffered in Turkey and Syria from that earthquake and you gave? Like, some of those people experienced my compassion and came to a relationship with me because of what you did. And these people over here got out of prison and, are, and he's gonna show us and we're gonna have been a part of what, we're gonna see the results, the impact let me show you one quick video clip here. It's about 80 seconds long, and then I'll wrap up. But what God is doing in another part of the world that had a natural disaster, a people who are very resistant to anything to do with Jesus, but then they saw his love in action. This is a guy that you might recognize the last name because his brother was here with us this week, Eric and Christy. This is his brother, and uh, let's take a look. in four different disasters, in a volcano, in a tsunami, in an earthquake. Those are all areas that have been very resistant to the gospel. And in fact, there has been uh, one area in particular that I think of where the believers were all chased out. They said that no Christians would ever be able to live there again. But you know what, when the uh, earthquake happened, 
the Christians went back and they were able to help the very people that had chased them out and had taken their property and destroyed their buildings. And uh, they shook their heads in disbelief and said, why have you come? We, we chased you out here and now you've come back to help us. Areas that have been resistant to the gospel have been way more open in a disaster situation. Disasters are terrible. I hate to see people suffering. I've seen too many people that have, that have suffered, but it also gives us wonderful opportunities to enter and uh, to, to hug in Jesus' name and to love and to help. Jesus was right when he said, it's when you give of yourself for other people, that's when you really receive. Just one example of what God is doing around the world. Hey, would you stay with me our statement one more time? You're gonna see it on the screen here. And let's say this together, ready? When God blesses me, his purpose is to bless others through me. You believe that? Scripture proves that God does not have favorites. He loves everybody. And he's saying, if you want to have my heart, when I bless you, I, I want to use you to make an impact wherever you go. Even today with your family or tomorrow when you get up and go to school, go to work, wherever he takes you, that you can say, God, I'm on mission with you today. Doesn't that fill your life with a sense of, of purpose to go, when I get up in the morning, I can say, God, how do you want to use me today? What person in, in my, maybe someone I've not even met yet, but you want me to be a blessing to someone I'm going to meet. God, here I am. Are you in? You ready for him to use you? Let's ask him to do that through us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for giving us undeserved blessing in our lives. Lord, that uh, you have been so good to us, undeserving people. Lord, I think of in my own life, I think we sense our brokenness, our inadequacy. We sometimes feel like, well, God, you could certainly use somebody else. But Lord, you choose unlikely, ordinary people to accomplish your good plans. And so, Lord, we just say, here we are. However you want to use me, send me. Send me, make a difference through my life. Lord, for the sake of your name, that you'll receive the honor that you're so worthy of. And for the sake of people who are looking for meaning in life and can experience that with you. Lord, may we be about your purposes this week. Let your blessings flow through us. In your name we pray, and everyone who wants it to be so said, amen. amen.